morning. Glad that you are here. Uh, on the way in, they hand you the notes, and if you'll get those out just a second, we'll jump into the message. I want to welcome all of our campuses, uh, obviously Lone Tree, but Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, folks that live stream us, and then even post-production uh, friends, and those are guys that may download this in the next couple of weeks. We are glad that you're part of the JFC family. I want to welcome you all to our service. Before we begin... Um, I have been sitting on a piece of news that I have like, let me announce this, let me announce this, and uh, I, I was forbidden uh, to be able to do it till we got past a certain time, and now we're past that certain time and I can do it. Um, our youngest daughter, Katie, and her husband, JJ, who just led worship, are having a baby, man. So number, listen, number seven, number seven now is getting ready to come into our life. Here, here this baby has no chance whatsoever to uh, not be blessed because Chris and I have dedicated ourselves to leaving no money for our children and giving it all to our grandchildren while they are uh, alive. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious. I actually had a grandpa walk up to me last night and go, do you really spoil them that way? And I said, well, are you for it or against it? He said, against it. Then I said, then I don't, I guess. No, I, I, uh, <laughs> we do like to spoil them, but we do feel responsible for them too. And JJ's mom and dad, uh, Justin, um, uh, he, he goes to, uh, Justin and Andy go to, go to church here and uh, it'll be their first grandbaby. So, so um, we don't, obviously it's too early now to know um, uh, what it's going to be. It will be a baby. We do know that at this point. And I will let you know once we know past that uh, what it's going to be. But May 8th is the due date. Chris and I are so excited about it. So just, just like awesome, awesome. All right, uh, let's go ahead and we'll jump into this. We're teaching from Psalms 23. It's actually the name of the series. A little different for us. Uh, if you're visiting this morning, here, here's, here's what, uh, it, it's a good weekend for you. Uh, normally, we're, we're a little more theme when we teach. So we'll pick a subject and then teach about the subject. But in this case, once we looked at Psalms 23 and decided we were going to teach from that and felt like the Lord was leading us there, uh, it speaks for itself in so many ways. So it's really a great weekend and a great series that if you're a believer, here's what this is going to do for you. It's going to strengthen your faith. It's going to encourage you. You're going to find yourself, wow, I love that. If you're a seeker, what's a seeker? It's a person who genuinely is looking for God. They haven't made up their mind yet, but they're very open to it, and they're very much looking. Maybe you've even said these words, God, reveal yourself to me, and you find yourself here this weekend. That's not an accident. And These words in this uh, particular psalm that David wrote, I, I think they could be the revelation of God's heart for you. And I would pray this, that if you are genuinely seeking, maybe, maybe, I would hope this would be an anchor for you to grab onto. And then I included this because I believe it to be true and we're on purpose about it. Let's say that you're here as a skeptic, that you really aren't seeking, you really aren't believing. The only way you ended up here is you came here on vacation and the people you're staying with just simply said, we won't feed you unless you come to church with us. So here you are this morning and now you're here. Uh, what about that right there? Well, I, I would say this to you and I believe this to be very true, that even if if you're not looking, even if you're just like, look, I, I don't need that, I don't believe that, here's the truth. You can still find beauty in the words that were written 3,000 years ago. Yep. And we can find that in many places. You don't have to just say the Bible has beautiful things that were written, but we see this as being transcendent to the place and time. We believe it to be alive and active, and it's the thing that makes it different than every other thing that's written. This is what we believe to be God's spirit breathing into it. So I think you're going to find beauty in it regardless of where you're at in life. So here's where we're at today. Uh, picking up in this particular uh, passage, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. So Psalms 23, 3 and 4. And if they'll pull it up, I'll read it to you. Now look, I'm reading it out of the NIV, New International Version. 
and you're probably more familiar with it out of the King James Version. In fact, when it's used, it, it's used, look, you don't have to be a believer to have heard these words because they're used often in society. They're used for a number of different reasons. That's how powerful this is. But normally we know the old English version of it. And I just use the New International because I like the modern vernacular, but it says the exact same thing. And it reads this way out of the NIV. He, speaking of God, guides me along the right, look at this, it's plural, paths. So the Bible's not saying there's just a single path that God, whatever path God gets you on is going to be the right path. In other words, listen, I think so many times we're, we're just like, God, it's just this one thing, give me this one. Whatever place you go, God has this ability. What the enemy intends for evil, God can work for good in your life. Do you believe that? So he gets me in right paths. And then for this reason, his name's sake. Remember that, his name's sake, because we're going to come back to this in just a minute. And then it goes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. On this part here, even though I walk through the darkest valley, in the King James, you're probably more aware of it going this, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Of course, that's how we always hear it. But it says the exact same thing. I'm just taking out the old English as I use the NIV. Now, in this particular passage, these two verses, there are a couple things that really stand out to me that I thought I would teach you this morning. The first one, like I just said, let's go back to the words, for his name's sake. In our society, when someone says, I'm doing this for his name's sake, or I'm doing this for my name's sake, what they're actually saying is, for my reputation. I'm going to do this. I'm trying to save my reputation or I'm trying to lift up my reputation. You cannot see this passage of scripture in that way. God never feels the need to defend himself to us. God never feels the need to have to lift up his reputation because he's God. He's eternal. We're the created. God never justifies himself to us. He doesn't have to. So what then could this mean? Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, I'm going to have to teach you a little Hebrew this morning. Now, I know, okay, I know that in order to do that, some people are like, mm, switch off, wake me up when you're done. Don't do that. I, I'm not claiming to be a Hebrew scholar, but this is very easy. To understand this passage and what's being said, you just need to understand a little bit about the Hebrew, the word name. Pull it back up here, guys. Let me, let me show this real quick, okay? On this scripture here, for his name's sake, the word name in Hebrew means nature or character. So if we substitute those two words for name, he leads me in right paths because his nature and character is good. Not because God is trying to make sure his reputation is upheld or his name is unsullied. But God does good things for me simply because he is good. Now, let me, let me go this direction with you. I think for many of us, when we grow up in a religious, uh, educated background, much of what's taught with that a lot of times is sort of formula thinking when it comes to God. And it looks something like this. I do good, God rewards and that equals a right path for me in my life. You ever thought that way? I do good, plus God rewards, I get a right path. Now, I get why we think that way, but here's the danger of it. It's a two-sided coin. And if you live your life thinking, I do good, therefore God does good, and it equals good things, here's the problem. The other side of that coin would be this, that if you do bad, then God has to judge, and that would equal what? A bad path. 
And you can't separate the two things. If you believe you do good, therefore God does good, now it equals the right path, then you have to believe the same thing, that if you do bad, God has to judge, and that equals the wrong path. What this scripture is telling us is this. Regardless of our ability to do good or not, God is always good. I just told you something really good, and I'm not sure that you're... Let me say it this way. How many of you are thankful you don't have to be good in order to get God to be good to you? Do you get that? Another way to say it is this. God loves us because of who he is, not because of what we do. That's very important. Now, some are sitting there thinking, yeah, but doesn't God reward wisdom? And isn't God into obedience? Absolutely, and I'm not negating that, but here's what I'm saying. There's a greater truth here to be understood. Regardless of how good you are, God is always good. God doesn't respond to us just because we do good or we do bad. God responds to us because he is good. It's his nature and character to always be good. Does that make sense? So we can count on that. We can trust that. What really David is saying in this passage is, God puts me in the right place at the right time, not because I did the right things, but because God is good. Now, let me, let me try to, to break this down. I'll, I'll prove this to you and the understanding of this. All right, in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Covenant, forgive me for going Old Testament on you for a second, but under the Mosaic Covenant, it was spelled out this way in the Old Testament. You do this, and God does this, and it equals this. If you are obedient, then I will be faithful, and that will equal blessing. In the Old Testament, it very much was that way, but the Old Testament was given to us to prove to us we all need a Savior, that we can't be perfect. We can't do the right thing to get God to do the right thing. The New Testament then comes with these words. We have a better covenant based on better promises because of the work of Jesus. So in 2 Timothy, it says this, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he'll never deny himself. Isn't that a better promise than the one with Moses? That's the one you get to count on. Now, it doesn't mean that the Old Testament was wrong or not true. It was always true. But the New Testament gives us greater truth. Here's truth from the Old Testament. If you were a leper, you couldn't be touched by anybody who was clean. But in the New Testament, Jesus touches the leper and heals them. Is that not true and greater truth? So in the New Testament, what we have, it's not that anything in the Old Testament was wrong, but it was just simply what was known right then that God had revealed. The New Testament reveals all of God's purposes. So in the Old Testament, it was, if I do this, God does this, and it equals this. But under the new covenant with better promises, God is always faithful, irregardless of what happens in life. That's good news. I love that right there. Some of you this morning, you don't get that because you think, I'm doing the right things, and it really is working, but you're going to have to flip that coin someday. And if you really believe you doing good equals God responding in a right way, therefore you get right paths. At some point, you've already bought into the philosophy. The devil will get you on this. If you end up in a place where things go wrong, you're going to think, I did wrong. Therefore, God is judging me, and it equals the path that I'm on. And if you think that way, the devil got you before you even got started. Bill Pearson, can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because I'm not sure anybody else is either. I can't understand the words coming out of your mouth, right? Yeah, never mind, Bill, forget it. Let's just go forward here. Some of you wouldn't laugh no matter what I said, so let's just go forward this. Let me give you the second thing in this that I think is, is a significant issue to grasp from the Scripture. The second part of it that I like 
David writes, I walk through the darkest valley. I walk through the darkest valley. All right, I, I realize, so just look at me here real quick. So this is gonna be true. You could do this by campus. You could do it by individual. You could do it by age. You could do it by um, male, female. It, at some level, this is gonna break down this way. Some of you right now are in a really good place in life. And me talking about a dark valley is not gonna seem very applicable to you. You're gonna be like, I, I, I get that pastor and it's true, it just doesn't help me a lot, I'm in a really good place. All right, so I'll, I'll give you that, hang on. Some of you are in a difficult place right now. You're facing great odds. You're uh, at a place where you didn't choose it, you don't want it, but you find yourself walking through something that's very, it, it, it's difficult, it's stressful. It's, it's not easy. In fact, maybe I'm not even using the right adjective to try to describe uh, uh, the difficult place that you're in. So for you, when I talk about a dark valley, a deep valley, a difficult place, it's going to be very relevant to you. You're going to be like, yeah, I get it. That's good. Um, let's do this. I heard a guy say one time, when it comes to dealing with difficulties and trials in life, you're in one of three places. You're in a trial. You just came out of a trial. What do you think the third one is? You're going to go in a trial. Now, some of you are like, well, I just don't believe that, so I won't say amen to that. I will exempt myself by I just won't agree with you. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. You certainly, uh, by saying amen doesn't, doesn't put you in a category or out of a category, but it simply does do this. If you are at a place in life where this is not as applicable as another time, just hang on to it. So maybe you won't use it today, but who knows if you'll need it tomorrow or next month or a year from now. Because I do know this, if you live long enough, you will go through stuff in this life. And if you're like, well, I just don't want it that way. I just want it to be perfect. Okay, one day it will be. It's called heaven and you'll be dead. So here's (laughs) the thing to remember. For this life here and now, we deal with stuff. Yes or no? All right, so I wrote down then three things to hold on to in a dark valley. Three things to hold on to. The first one simply is this. Remember this. God's will is always. I'm going to say it one more time. God's will is always good, pleasing, and perfect. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is what we believe. It's what we hold on to. It's what we know to be true. God's will is always good, pleasing, and perfect. It says that exact statement, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 that we need to have our minds renewed so that we can know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. When you go into a dark valley, one of the most significant and important things to remember is that God is always good, pleasing, and perfect. And that dark valley is not the place that you're going to be stuck forever. You're going through something to get to good, pleasing, and perfect. So the second thing then to remember in a dark valley would simply be this right here. The path to good, pleasing, and perfect may include valleys. Now, when I wrote this, I wrote it with the idea I wanted to be encouraging. But as I think about it, and being 50, and having lived life, and going through a lot of different things, here's how I actually think about this. I would say it this way. The path to good, pleasing, and perfect will include valleys. You will go through stuff. Being a believer never exempts you from going through difficulty. In fact, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Fear not, I've overcome the world. So being a believer does not give us a force field where we walk through life and we pray and we read and we give, and now we don't have any trouble. In fact, actually, if you love God, the devil will fight you. 
And in this world, you will have trouble. But here's what we know to be true. Trouble is not your permanent address. It is not the place you need to build a house or live your life. You are going through it. And when God is done with it, good, pleasing, and perfect, reside on the other side of trouble. So then the third thing that I would throw to you, always remember to hold on to, the key in on this particular passage of scripture is the word through. Here's what David says. Go back to the whole thing right here because it's really important when you look at this. Do, 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 do. There we go. He guides me. (laughs) I'm having a good time whether you are or not. (laughs) I've just made up my mind. I'm gonna have a good time. So here, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake, even though I walk That's the most important word to key in on in the middle of a valley. God has not brought you to the valley, to live in the valley, to die in the valley, to do business. He brought you through it. So this is what I know. Every facet of life has a beginning and an end, yes or no, and that includes trouble. It has a shelf life. It is not forever. God is taking you through it. He will get you to the other side. Through is the key issue. Let me give you a really cool scripture. I have to read this to myself from time to time, by the way. This is a scripture, it's one of my life scriptures, that when I'm going through difficulties, I go back to this and I read it to myself. It comes from Proverbs, it's chapter 12, verse 13. This is what it's written here. The righteous will come through trouble. It doesn't say the righteous won't go through it. It says the righteous will come through it. We may have trouble, but we're not gonna be in trouble forever. It's not gonna be the permanent thing we deal with or what we always live with or how we're always going to feel. All right, now, I, I'm a visual person. I like, I like to look at charts and I like to look at graphs to help me understand. So I, I, my problem is I love stuff like that, but I'm not a good artist. So I put together this little chart, but it's very simplistic. It'll tell you much about me. <laughs> Here's my chart. Okay, these are peaks, these are valleys, and this is the path through. Thank you. Look, if you're so much better, get up here right now. And just, you take a shot at, all right, so here, look. So, so what, what David is explaining is, okay, life has its ups and its downs. But God is always faithful and good to us. On this side is good, pleasing, and perfect. And maybe you're over here. Maybe right now in life, you're on the top. Here's what I know about being on the mountaintop. It's easy to see, isn't it? You never question God on the top because you can see him very easily. You feel him. You feel up. You feel good. You feel blessed. You're like, oh, this is the place to live. And here's what we want. God, leave me here. Just let me live right here. Here's the problem with that. If he left you there, you'd be stunted. You'd never get to other good, pleasing, and perfect. If I stopped right now and said, God, I don't want to go any further. What I've got is good. Leave me here. I'd never see the birth of this child. Do you hear me? I'd never get there. I'd never get to do the things that God has in my heart to do in ministry. I'd never, I'd never get to go to another, another meal with my wife, another, another vacation. We, I, I'd be stuck here. This is what I got. Leave me alone. God is so good, he'll never leave you alone. Yeah. All right, so, so we're, we're on the top. We love it here. We can see God easily here. When we go into the valley, here's what I know. The valley is a place where it's dark, isn't it? 
The valley is the place where it's difficult to see. It's difficult to feel. It's difficult to know. Here's what I know. It's always darkest at the deepest. But the way out is up. So let me give you three things to never do in a valley. If you have a pen, you want to write it down. It's not in your notes. You're like, I have to come to church and write something down? Yes. You should also bring your Bible and think. Okay, those three things. Now, if you have a pen, three things to never do in a valley. It's always dark in a valley. It's always, it's always, it, the valley is always where it's deepest. Bring my little chart back up here. There we go. I, it's so good artwork, I want to look at it. This is three things when you're here, when you're in the valley, three things you never do in the valley. So let, let me say it this way. If, if it's true that God is good, if it's true that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect, if it's true that we're going through it, how come I've been stuck in something for a long period of time? How come I know somebody that never got through a valley? How come? So let me give you three ways, three reasons why we can find it in Scripture. I'll show you the clearest place to see it. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt, were on top of the world. God freed them from 430 years of slavery, and he did it by his hand alone, no one else. When they left Egypt, the Egyptians were so glad to get rid of them, they loaded them down with all the treasuries of Egypt. They left millionaires when they walked out of Egypt. They're on a two-week vacation going to a promised land that God gave them. It should have taken two weeks to get there, and they're millionaires. Now listen to this. Those of you who know your Bible... Tell me how long it took them to get from Egypt to the promised land. 40, years. 40 freaking years. <laughs> should have been two weeks. They should have got there wealthy. They should have had everything that God promised them. And they got stuck in a valley or a desert or whatever you want to call it for 40 years. How does that happen? It's a great lesson for us today. The first thing is never rebel in a valley. The wrong time to get angry. The wrong time to throw a fit. The wrong time to cast off restraint is when it's difficult. Now that's the time you're tempted the most to do it. Think about this. When you're up here, you're never tempted to go, God, take your hands off of me. That's where you're like, God, love me. But it's in the deep part where the enemy lies to you and tells you that God has been unfaithful to you and that you can't, you can't, listen, when you can't feel his presence, trust his character. Can I say it again? When you cannot feel his hand, trust his heart. That's the time where the devil works the hardest to get us to quit, to give up, and to rebel. Never rebel in a valley. Why? You'll get stuck where you rebel. The second thing, never refuse to learn. Valleys have the ability, like nothing else in life, to teach us things. You ever prayed this prayer, God bless me? You haven't? You ever prayed this prayer, God bless me? It's not rhetorical, I'm asking. You ever prayed that, God bless me? You ever heard the concept of God blessing you? Do you know what bless means, B-L-E-S-S? -S? Do you want to be blessed? Yes. How do I, folks, get, answer me! <laughs> No one's going home to watch the Broncos until I get an answer out of this thing. I just want you to know right now, I will hold this meeting, lock the doors, and the outcome of the game is now on the line. 
depending on how you get with me. So let me try this one more time. You ever prayed to be blessed? Oh, sure, you want them to win. Here's what I know. If you pray, God bless me, God's desire and intention, because he is good, pleasing, and perfect, his desire is to bless you. But listen to this. His blessing without character is a curse. Prove it to you in the natural. We're going to watch athletes today who without character to handle millions of dollars put their lives in jeopardy, yes or no? Yes. Put, their, put, put their families in jeopardy, yes or no? Yes. And, and none of us would go, millions of dollars, well, that's a curse. That, we would go, that's a blessing. But without the fortitude or the ability to handle it, it becomes a curse. So here's what we're praying. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. If he is a good father, then he could not put a curse on you by giving you a blessing unless you're ready to handle it. All right, so listen to this. Mountaintops never develop character. They require that you have it. Valleys are where we develop the perseverance, the ability, the character to handle prosperity. If you pray, God bless me, his intention is to do so, it almost means, gosh, do I want to go this far? It almost means that if you pray, bless me, simultaneously you're almost saying develop me so that I can handle what you want to do in my life. Look, God can give you a gift, but if your character is not ready to sustain it, the gift becomes a curse. In what I do, there are pastors who are exceptionally gifted in being able to speak and to lead, but when their character is ugly behind the scenes, what does it do to them and the people they lead? It's devastating, isn't it? It's absolutely devastating. God, and then who gets blamed for that? God? Huh. Never rebel, never refuse to learn. Last but not least, when you're in a valley, never resign. Never quit when it's the most difficult. That's always the lie that the devil gets. Quit, 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 because if you quit, you can get out of it. Listen to this. If you quit in a valley, you'll never get out of it. You'll never get out of it. Never quit at the most difficult time. The way out, listen again, the way out of here is up, and the way up is God. Never, ever rebel, never refuse to learn, never resign, and if you've done any of those three, then repent. Repent. Today you say, I rebelled. Today you said, I refuse to learn. Or today you say, God, I quit, I'm sorry, I was wrong, get me on the right path. And because he is good, guess what God does? Right where you are can become the right path because God can use a pair of twos to beat the devil. Nobody in here plays cards apparently. Okay, all of my great analogies are falling to the floor before me. You told me they were all good. (laughs) I'm playing with her. I'll give you the last one. A little bit of of a, let me finish this. So, David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. All right, Um, look, maybe you don't have to answer this question, but I bet at some point you've probably asked this question, and because of what I do, I deal with a lot of tragedy at times, and people, I deal with a lot of good stuff, and I can deal with some difficult stuff. So in difficulties, people always ask, where was God when? And I put some of the wins down here. After 9-11, that was one of the things that people asked left and right. Where was God when 9-11 happened? 
And then I, I just put some other ones in here so that you can see, where is God in death? That's usually when I get asked the question. Now, now most people are reasonable and they realize, look, this is life and the only way out is death. We're all going that way. I don't mean that to be scary or, or morose, but it's the truth. But here's what, when it happens to someone who's younger or in a tragedy, people tend to ask, where was God? Difficult question to answer sometimes. How about this right here? In uh, financial devastation. Gosh, you can't imagine the number of people I sit with from time to time who think they're doing the right thing and it turns out to be the wrong thing and they're sitting there faced with something that's going to affect them in such a traumatic way. Where's God now? How about disease? A report that a doctor gives that is terminal. Where's God? Flood? A year ago, we watched as part of our community was devastated with floods. You know, if you go to church here, one of our projects, one of, one of the places of impact is that we picked a family where FEMA is not enough to rebuild and to restore, and we came alongside them and are helping them to get back what's been taken away from them. But the question is, where's God in that? Terror? God, if we don't live in my lifetime, in my, my lifetime, I can't remember a time where terror is more easy to see on a worldwide basis than looking at the Middle East and watching a group of people cut the heads off of. Does that not inflict terror? It's, it's doing just what it was designed to do, isn't it? And now it's, it's instant and live worldwide. Where's God? So again, let me approach you this way. If you only respond to God on one side of a coin, you rip yourself off. You've bought into the wrong thought. How come we never say at the birth of a baby, where's God? You know why? Because we see, oh, that's good. How come we never say when someone gets promoted, where's God? Because we feel like God's with me. How come we never say when someone has great success, where's God? Because we see God. It's two sides of the coin. Here's the truth. Remember this. You want to know where God is in a tragedy and where God is in a success? He's in the same place every time with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never walks away from you. In good times, in bad times, regardless of what this world does, God is always the same. He's with you. How do you know it's true? Even though I walk through difficult places, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God doesn't go to the other side of the valley and say, hey, when you get through it, find me. And here then becomes the problem is that when it's all clear, we detect him so easily, but when it's hunched down and dark, it's so hard because the devil's screaming the loudest then. Yes or no? Emotions are ragged. Life seems very unfair. When you cannot hear his voice... Trust his goodness. Okay, I wrote it this way in your notes. Good times reveal our awareness of God. When it's good, we're aware of God. All of us. But bad times, they demand that you become aware of God. Because it's in the bad times you need to hear from God the most. In the good times, it's easy. But in difficult times, it's hard. And that's the time it may be more important for you to hold on to your faith. God is with me. God has not left me. God is not judging me. God has not rejected me. God said he'll always be with me. 
All right, so come to the end of my message, and I think to myself, where do you do ministry at? Do you pray for those who are in a valley? I think the answer to that is yes. But do you then ignore those who are on a mountaintop? I don't think so, because I think when we're on the mountaintop, that's probably the best time to praise God and to recognize his faithfulness and his goodness. It's easy to see it then. So what if we just did both? What if ministry right now was for both? Because it probably hits you somewhere in one of those two places right now. So will you pray with me? So Father, it's a joy to be able to come before you. Now sometimes, God, we do that with great ease and sometimes it's more difficult. Sometimes, Father, we can hear you so clearly and we can see your hand and we know God is with me and everything he's teaching I agree with. And then there's times where it affects us directly in our lives and my words don't even come close to the reality that you're going through and you feel like, Pastor, it's not true because if God really did love me and if he was faithful and he didn't leave me, I wouldn't feel this way. And This is what I'm trying to say to you. This is where trusting and knowing that God is good for his name's sake, because he is good, he does good. Not because you did wrong or because you did right, but because he is good. And if you find yourself in that dark place right now, gosh, the number one thing I would tell you, here's what I want you to do. Call out to God. Even if it's just by faith, even if you feel nothing more than I'm gonna listen to what my pastor said right now, fine. But call out to God and ask him for his help. Tell him that you believe that he's good. Ask him to get you through. And here's what I would pray. The valley that you're in, I pray it would be the shortest valley ever. May the shelf life of this valley conclude even today. May you begin to see the sunrise tomorrow. May God pull you out of the darkness. May he incline his ear to you and help you. If you're on top of the mountain, here's what I pray for you. Don't just sit there and go, wow, I made good decisions and I'm a good person and I'm really smart. Do this. Humble yourself before God and thank him for all of the blessings in your life. Tell him thank you. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for giving me an abundance. Thank you, God, that my family is blessed. Thank you, God, that we're secure. Either place requires a humility to say, God, I trust you, and I need you, and I look to you. And I pray in his name right now, he'd make this real and true to you. I pray that you'd go home with this. I pray that it would be a guard for you this coming week. I pray that it would be a help to you. And I pray it under the name given us that gets God's attention. His name is Jesus. Amen and amen. Look, before you go, there's another part of our service that for the next several weeks, I feel directed by God to have to do. I'm the pastor. I've got to admit to you, I've made a mistake and I've got to change a culture in a way that we think around here and there's no other way to do it except be direct with it and say it. So if you're here last week, you see me do a video announcement. I have an unintended consequence that I've got to deal with. I started the church 16 years ago. Chris and I feel God call us. We'd been in ministry for quite a while, but never senior pastors. We were never senior leaders. We were youth pastors, associate pastors. This is my 30th year in ministry, and that's a long time to do anything. But when I came here, I was a rookie being a senior leader. It was green. I didn't know. 
I looked around at other churches and I made a judgment call. Here's my judgment call. Churches make a mistake when all they do is talk about money and it makes people really trip on the issue, especially people that are looking for God. They think that churches are just in it for the money, so I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna lift up people and downplay money. And you know, if you go to church here, I do that pretty well. I just don't ever talk about it. And then I get an unintended consequence over the year that I realize, gosh, I've developed a mindset that I've got to break. I have coffee with a visitor not too long ago, and this is what the guy says to me. Just didn't even ask him. It was just a a nonchalant comment, but he goes, Pastor, when I first came to your church, here was my impression. You're a very wealthy church, and you don't need anything that I can give. And I thought, God, how did I I get... (laughs) That's the last thing I ever wanted to communicate to anybody. So I feel like I take that information, I share it with my staff, and I feel like we've got a cultural thing that I created. By downplaying it too much, I've got an unintended consequence. It was a wonderful thing to do, but I didn't bring balance to it. So I feel like I've got to change that. All right, so get this. I stand up last week and I say, folks, because I never talked about it, there are people out there who think we're really wealthy. So I stand up and I say that last week, and we get email this week that says, if John's talking about finances, Jubilee must really be hurting. And I'm not kidding. So get this picture. If I don't talk about it, we're rich. And if I do talk about it, we're poor. I can't win for losing in the situation. And it's created an incredibly unfruitful mindset that I'm not proud of and that I did and I need to change. So I got with some of my guys on staff and I said, look, what does this look like? What are we trying to communicate to people? How do we do this in a way that doesn't make it about give to get? That's what I hate. I hated when pastors taught give to get because I think it's selfish giving. Give to get stuff back. I tend to believe in altruistic ways to do it because it's the right thing to do. That's the highest level, but most of us are not motivated because it's the right thing to do. We're motivated by the impact that something has, yes or no? All right. So we stand up here and we talk about generosity. Why is this important? Because generosity leads to impact. And when you see impact, it gives vision. And when you have vision, now you know why you're generous and it leads to an ongoing way to live life that can increase. I become more generous to have more impact, to get more vision, to be more generous. God blesses us to be a blessing, yes or no? So I'm thinking, God, how do I connect our people? I don't want to just stand up and talk about generosity. That's just not, it's not my nature to do it. I'm just not comfortable with it. But I am comfortable always talking about impact and changing people's lives and how we can make a difference. And I hear all the stories. Dude, you can't believe how many stories that we get around the world in our community of lives that are changed. So I'm like, God, in just the last 30 days, let me write down the stories and I'll tell our people. Well, there were so many of them, it'd be an entire different message. So I thought, all right, give me one story of impact that I can tell our people in just the last couple of weeks. And then what happened to me, and I didn't realize at the time why it happened, but then I put two and two together. And let me tell you a story of impact that you're having. A girl, probably 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there, walks up to me out in that foyer just a few weeks ago. And she's pastor, we never met. She said, I've been here five years and we never met. And I was embarrassed by that. I thought she was going to correct me. Like, I've been here five years and you've never talked to me. And I'm like, apologize. I'm so sorry. My name's John. She goes, no, that's not it. She goes, I want to tell you two things. One, I came to your church and I found Christ here. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. She said, but when I came here, I was a teenager and I was in trouble. She said, I want to tell you my story. 
She said, I got pregnant, I wasn't married, and I was gonna have an abortion, and somebody invited me to come to your church. She said, I came right during that time, and I thought, now she's gonna say, and you did this, and correct me. And she said, you were talking about, listen to this, trusting God when nothing makes sense. It's kind of the message I have a lot, huh? And she said, Pastor, I heard that. I went home, and I decided to keep my baby. She said, it wasn't easy. She said, it was a really difficult decision, and my family had to come to terms with it. And then over to her left, my right, a woman is standing there, and I thought she was just waiting to talk to me. She's holding a child, and this woman stands up, and it's her mother. And she says, Pastor, I want to introduce you to my daughter. And she hands the child to me. And this is the little girl who wasn't aborted who I'm now holding in my arms, and I'm weeping, man. I don't know what to say to her. I don't know how to even, like, <laughs> this is awesome. And she just tells, I just want to tell you the difference that you made in my life, and I don't have even the words to tell her. What can you say? And I give her back this baby, and then I tell this story for the last two services, and now I'm telling it for the third time, and right in the back this morning, another young woman walked up to me and said, I want to show you another one that didn't get aborted because of your ministry. And I looked at this little baby with lots of hair, <laughs> and I was so like, wow. Say that, you're like, well, that's just such a small, God, that's one of hundreds of stories that I get monthly about the impact. You built eight churches last month, six in foreign lands and two in our city. More than 100 people came to Christ last month, here, right here. People were delivered last month. Devils were cast out last month, even if you don't believe that to be true. Lives are changed ongoing. God, why tell us this? Because I've been so wrong trying to downplay the idea of this I haven't talked about this. And without this, you don't get vision, which then keeps generosity from happening so that impact can grow greater. And now I need to tell you the truth. I want to make a bigger difference before I'm done in ministry in the next 15 years, man. I want to change the world. There are many dark places that we can light a candle, and I want to tell you this. The church is the only hope for this world. And what I mean by that, I don't mean the institution. I mean the fact that this is what God put here until Jesus returns to represent him to this earth. How are you making an impact? How are you making a difference? Because we will get asked that question when we stand before God, and you can say and feel good about it by going, I'm part of something that makes a difference worldwide when I join in it. So what are you asking for? Three things. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. And I ask for it boldly because it makes a difference difference here. Your giving matters. Your time matters. Your prayers matter. Your attendance matters. All you do matters. Yep. Yes. And I was wrong in my zeal to lift people up and to downplay an issue. I got an unintended consequence of like, eh, if we do it, great. And if we don't, eh. It matters every week. It matters every week. Yeah, so what are you trying to tell us? What is God trying to tell you? I'm done done saying what I need to say. I am going to, though, do these two things. Over the next several weeks, I want to tell you the story that you're having and the impact. I want you to help me. Got a pen still? Yes. Got a pen? One person has a pen in the whole room. <laughs> Good. Here we go. So write this down. Impact. I-M-P-A-C-T. Impact. 
at jfc.org. Impact at jfc.org. If God has used this church to be a blessing to you, to help you, to aid you, a story that you... Look, I know hundreds of stories, but I bet there's thousands of stories that we could tell. And listen to the way I'm saying it. If God has used this church to help you, impact you, do something, tell your story to me. Impact at jfc.org. Even if you think it's insignificant, nothing in the kingdom of God is insignificant. It matters, and I need your help with this. The second thing is, next week, I want you to pray about something. We're going to take up our offering for the holidays. It's our Thanksgiving Christmas offering. What do we do with it? I know we live in an affluent community, but you cannot believe the need in our community. You can't believe how many people come to us every week. I need groceries. I need gas. My power's about to be shut off. I know you think, look around. God, we live in such a, how could anybody in our community? Because we don't just do stuff in this community, although there are people in this community hurting desperately. We do stuff all over our state. Let us say yes to that. Never let us say no to anybody in need. Deal? Never say no. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. God, as we give right now, I pray over this offering. As people hear your word, let them be honest in their response to you and do what you tell them to do. Folks, if you're a visitor this morning, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the people who call this church their home. I wouldn't try to put any visitor under something, but if this is your house, if this is the place that you gather together and call this, this is my home, then God has a place for you here. Time, talent, and treasure, all three are necessary to what God wants to do. Father, bless this offering. We thank you for it. Jesus said it's better to give than receive. Here's why. If you give it, you've already been given it. If you receive it, it's because you don't have it yet. So if we can give it, we're in a better place. God, thank you for the opportunity to give this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, look at me. I need you to do me a favor. Get yourselves up and get out of here right now. Okay, I've taken way too much time. I had to, I'm serious. Go home, watch the Broncos. God bless you. May they win for your obedience to listen to me this morning. Go, go, go. (laughs) 